Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves. And you guys always love our Love the Breeds episodes, and everybody voted. And so Black and Tan Coon Hounds were way up on the list of what people wanted to hear about. And it just so happens I have a very dear friend, Kathy Corbett of Y-East Black and Tan Coon Hounds, that I've been watching her dogs since I could toddle. And she is joining us today (laughs) to talk about this fabulous breed. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion can give you peace of mind knowing your pet is covered in the event of an unexpected accident or illness. Even better, Trupanion can pay your veterinarian directly and has no payout limits, so you'll never have to choose between what's best for your pet and what's best for your wallet. And if you're a breeder, you can join Trupanion's free breeder support program and get a special offer to share with your puppy buyers that waives all the waiting periods. So coverage goes into effect immediately. And when I was at the garden this summer, I was hanging out with Trupanion and I got a chance to catch up with Cindy. She's a breeder who's a member of Trupanion's breeder support program. And she shared the following testimonial with us. She said that Trupanion has been the best and saved me thousands of dollars. My puppy buyers love it, and I hope they always stick with it. A dog is never going to have an accident on payday. It's always when the money is tight. Cindy, you are dead on about that. So take a moment, guys. Sign up for Trupanion's free breeder support program now so you and your litters can be prepared for anything. Get started by heading over to my partner page, puredogtalk.com. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you. It's so good that you can join us. So give us a little, we call it the 411, a little background. You just told me that you guys just passed 50 years of breeding black and tan coon hounds. Yes, we got our first black and tan in 1971. And actually, we had picked the breed because of its description. The first black and tan we ever saw was the one that got off the plane from Kentucky to be part of our household. (laughs) So we picked the breed without ever having seen one. We were familiar with other coonhound breeds at that time. But at the time, the black and tan was the only one recognized by the American Kennel Club. And Mm -hmm. so we decided to go with that. We had become acquainted with a walker hound, loved the temperament, liked everything about the dog. We like a dog about that size where you put your hand down and there's a head right there. Right, right. Uh, We like a short coat and we chose to go with a breed with no ear crop and no tail dock. Not that we objected to that. We just didn't want the hassle and we had seen how easy it is for a show dog to be not a show dog if it's not done correctly. I think you were prescient. And I think about that 
when I hear people talking about, you know, being opposed to crop and dock and wanting to change their breeds, I'm like, you know, there's lots of breeds that aren't cropped and docked, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And we weren't opposed to it, particularly. Right. We just didn't want to deal right. with it. Right. And we had lots of friends, especially with ear crops. And of course, in the hunting breeds, so many of them have dark tails. Mm -hmm. But we just chose not to deal with that and wanted a breed that wasn't cropped and docked. We like a short coat. And as I said, we like that size of a dog. The size of a black and tan, even by the standard, is the same as a bloodhound or a Doberman or dogs of that general build. Our boys are about 27 inches at the shoulder. Our girls are about 25 inches at the shoulder. And that's a real handy height. As I said, you reach a hand down and there's a head right there to pat. <laughs> Which is perfect. So talk to us about yes. the history of the black and tan coon hound because it is a fascinating breed. And if I remember my dog history correctly, a made in America kind of breed. Absolutely. We have a kind of a muddled history. We certainly go back to foxhounds. George Washington had foxhounds and he had dogs that happened to be black and tan in color. It was quite a while before the utilitarian dogs that would hunt for anything with fur that would run were divided essentially by coat color and a little bit by their style of hunting. Five of the coonhound breeds generally were used to track and trail coons and other animals that would either go to ground or tree. The plot hound is much more aggressive and was used primarily for bear oh, because wow. it takes a tough dog to take on a bear. But in general, these were dogs that would chase anything with fur that would run. And they were the dogs that put meat on the table. Mm -hmm. And eventually they were segregated mainly by color and a little bit by style of hunting. Some of the breeds like treeing walkers were a little faster. Black and tans were the ones that weren't necessarily as fast, but would stay on a trail forever and had great endurance. And they're also wonderful dogs to have around. They were very reliable with other dogs and children, with the family's cats, strange house cats that wander in our fair game. But they are generally very reliable. And we loved their temperament. We wanted a dog that would run all night if we wanted it to, or go hunt, hiking or camping or anything that the family wanted to do, and then would come in the house and lie down and go to sleep. And right. that's exactly what we found. So, Kathy, talk to us about, I mean, this is a relatively well-known thing, but talk about our scent hounds, our trailing hounds, our dogs that were bred to run all night and chase a raccoon. Talk to us about how they are to take hiking. I mean, let's go off leash. Am I ever going to see this dog again? And you're exactly right. When we sell a puppy or place a puppy, we do try to impress upon the people that this is an on-leash breed. They are bred to hunt independently. They are bred to take off on their own, and they will. <laughs> and it's your job to find them, to follow them. Their end of the bargain is that when they get something up a tree, that they will yell their heads off so you can find them. 
But if that doesn't happen, for instance, if they're after a deer, they mm -hmm. usually just go and go and go. So in mm -hmm. general, for hiking or anything else, they are on lead dogs and at home they need a fence. You, in my opinion, cannot reliably train them to stick around home. Although people assure us that they certainly are able to do that. They'll range for 10 miles. If they remember where they came from, they'll come back home, but they go. And it's not a matter of training. You're working against hundreds of years of instinct right. to go. Right. <laughs> and so I think that that is just something that's so important that we understand when people are looking to buy a dog, instinct matters. The reason that a dog is a purebred breed is because of all of this selective breeding to make it do this one thing. And now you're going to tell it not to do that one thing. You might not be as successful as that 100, 200, 500,000 years of selection to do the one thing. I do think that in many ways, black and tan coonhounds are asked to do almost everything against what their instinct tells them to do. They're wonderful house dogs. They tend to be very clean. And when they're in the house, they'll find the warmest, softest spot and curl up and sleep. But when they're out, their instinct is to go. And on the other hand, even in obedience training and showing, everything we ask them to do is not what they're inclined to do. We ask them to hold their heads up and they're inclined to run with their nose on the ground. Mm -hmm. We ask them to stay next to us and they're inclined to go way, way far out ahead. We ask them to be relatively quiet and they're inclined to not do that. They have, we consider it music, but they are very vocal, can be. But so you're telling me it's not really an ways, apartment dog, right, Kathy? <laughs> Probably not an apartment dog, although they don't expect or require as much exercise as people expect of a big dog. Given the opportunity, they will cheerfully just climb up on the couch and go to sleep. And if you want to go out and do stuff, they're happy to do it with you. They're very versatile that way. We have placed puppies with marathon runners who get along just fine. One of our most successful placements was with a young man who taught backpacking and mountaineering and his dog went everywhere with him oh my gosh. and How actually cool stayed with him. And the dog was in seventh heaven and then came home at night and just curled up and rested up for the next adventure. But mm. on the whole they're I would say not apartment dogs, a little walk around the block isn't going to make them real happy. <laughs> yeah. And so talk to us about some of their other features. When you live with a black and tan coon hound, you have those long ears, you've got some lips, there's a little bit of spit involved. <laughs> so the nice short coat's a thing, but and, and about actually, the rest of it. Yes, that does vary quite a bit from dog to dog. I would say most black and tans don't have a big problem with drool unless there's a chunk of food in the area and then of course they drool but they do have ears that require care you have to keep them clean and you can't really keep them clean and dry because they hang down and it's a perfect environment with the dampness mm -hmm. to not be real healthy so you have to keep their ears clean and the rest of them of course you have to keep their teeth clean 
You have to tend to their toenails and just generally keep them overall clean. But other than that, they're really easy keepers. There's usually never a problem getting a black and tan to eat or to be clean. They have a lot of good features. Most hounds Mm -hmm. eat very well and they can certainly get overweight easily. We do tell people when they take a puppy, if the puppy doesn't eat, please take them to the vet because they should just put their noses right down and eat, and most do. And so talk to us about, you talked about some of the fun projects that they can do. Do you do events with these dogs? Is this like a barn hunt or a tracking or a scent work or any of those Are they in the pantheon of hounds on the more trainable or the less trainable to do some of those types of events? Actually, most of them take very well to these. And we have Mm. some members of the parent club who are racking up titles on their dogs, especially in scent work. We have tracking champions already. Mm -hmm. They do like to track, although I will say they are easily distracted. They track just fine unless a deer or something has trotted across the track and then they can veer off and they can give you a very good impression of working, 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 but it turns out to be not the kind of work you expected of them. They excel, of course, in scent work. They have wonderful scent discrimination skills and they are, many of them, racking up scent work titles. They have done perfectly well in obedience for somebody who's willing to take the time. Like many breeds, if you can find a way to convince them it's their idea, then they do much better. But as I said, a lot of what we ask them to do in obedience is against what they're naturally inclined to do. I find that most of them work very, very well for praise. If you can tell them what gifted, wonderful dogs they are when they do something right, they tend to do it again. They really appreciate that. Right. Even more than training them with treats. With food. Okay. And that's really interesting that you mentioned that because I find that in a lot of my breeds. And I know that today's trainers are big believers in food rewards, which I think have a lot of place. But I have found so many of my dogs to be more motivated by you're a good dog, than they are, here's a piece of chicken. We've been very successful in obedience Mm -hmm. with our dogs. Mm -hmm. And we find that if we train with food, we have to train twice because they have very good noses and they know perfectly well when you're not carrying food. So you can train them with food, but then you have to turn around and train them that they have to do this even if I'm not carrying a treat. And it's just easier to train them with praise. And I have found in going to classes that most trainers are willing to let you train with just praise, even if they don't really believe it's going to work. Because now that training methods have improved yes, and are 100%. less harsh, but they've also, many of them veered totally to, I had one trainer call it treat and hope. <laughs> Rather than just, you hope they'll do it even when there's not a treat. <laughs> and I have, as I said, found it much more reliable from the start to train them with praise and they lap it up. Mm -hmm. They love it. They will. A big, good dog and a hug and a pat on the back, they love and will be more inclined to do it again and do it reliably. Interesting. I love that perspective. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast. 
in a minute. All right, crew. I hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic. So ask and you shall receive. (laughs) I've done all the hard work. I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofing. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT albums image. And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds. Up your game. Owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck ninety-nine, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. So let's talk about health and longevity. It's a big dog. So what are some of the things that people are going to encounter? You know, how long are the dogs going to live? Talk to us about that a little bit. Oh, we pretty well count on about 10 years. And after 10, you start to wonder what it will be that takes them. And we have the same things that other breeds have. Some get cancer. Something's going to give out at some Mm -hmm. point. So eventually they may have heart failure or liver failure or kidney failure or something. All the things that happen to old dogs. Some of them become very arthritic. They're just like people. Cancer is a problem, but I wouldn't say as it is in some breeds that it's a given. Right. But something's going to give out. As I said, we hope for 10 years. And after 10 years, it's all gravy. Some people have had lines that lasted longer than others. We, unfortunately, have never seen a 14th birthday here. But some of our puppies have survived longer than that with other people. It's just that after 10, it's kind of luck of the draw. Mm -hmm. As good a care of you take of them and you nurse them through. And then you have to decide at some point if somebody really is not feeling well with heart failure or whatever, then in most cases, you have to decide what to do for the comfort of the dog. Right. Well, and I think 10 for a large breed dog is pretty average and pretty good, really. Oh, yes. And we fully expect that. Once in a while, something unexpected will happen at seven or eight, but not very often. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, they pretty easily get to at least 10. Right. So one of my favorite questions for people about their breeds, when you're talking to people who are interested in your breed, who makes an amazingly good 
black and tan coon hound owner and who is like, oh, maybe not for you. <laughs> First of all, somebody who tells me, oh, I don't need a fence. I will train the dog to stay home. That's pretty much a red flag <laughs> because you won't. And somebody who's not prepared to spend any time with the dog, if there's nobody home all day, either the dog's going to be in a crate all day or be as destructive as puppies can be. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good situation either. So it's much better if somebody's going to be able to spend time with the dog. Somebody who says, my dog comes to work with me and sleeps under the desk all day and then we go for a big walk is my dream <laughs> puppy buyer. Yeah. Everybody's. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Family with very small children, you have to say, please, you will never, ever leave this puppy alone, unsupervised with the children. It's just not fair to the child or the dog. Mm-hmm. And like every other breed, if we hear that there's been an unfortunate interaction between a puppy and a child, you know that there just hasn't been proper supervision. Children don't know in it's a case of a coon hound, if they're pulling on the ears or pulling on the tail, this can be painful for the puppy and not fair, as I said, to the puppy or the child. So you have to really, really screen families with a lot of very small children, older children, a teenager who wants to spend time with this dog and go to obedience classes and have fun with the dog also can be ideal. And talk to me a little bit. You mentioned early on in our conversation, you mentioned temperament. And I mean, to me, when I see them, they're pretty good sort of stoic hound type dogs, but I have seen some that are more reserved or more shy. Talk to us about that kind of across the board and any extra special stuff that you encourage your owners to do. Yes, they can be reserved, especially with people they don't know. And the standard up to a point allows for that. Shyness is never a good thing. But we encourage people to get the puppy out. Don't listen to people who say, if you take it out before six months old, you'll just expose it to bad things and it hasn't had a full series of shots. You have to get this puppy out. Do the appropriate inoculations, but for heaven's sakes, get the puppy out. Not necessarily in a dog park where you can't protect the dog from Mm -hmm. unfortunate situations. We have had dogs with like broken limbs from encounters in dog parks with just either dogs that really shouldn't be there or dogs that are just too rambunctious and will injure a dog. But to get the dog out in supervised situations, certainly if there's a nice puppy class nearby to go and get the dog into a beginner puppy class just for socialization and basic skills like begin to implant the idea of coming when called (laughs) which is never a hundred percent sure with an out but at least they kind of know what you expect whether they choose to take to eat it is another question right and For the health of the dog, certainly not to feed the puppy a really good quality puppy food, but not to let the dog become overweight. Hip dysplasia happens in all big breeds, and being overweight can be a contributing factor. So we like to see the puppy with a moderate amount of exercise that it chooses and not to be overweight. We certainly don't encourage strenuous exercise and rambunctious play with much bigger dogs in a dog. Bones are still firming up 
and we can show you x-rays of dogs at a year old that the bones still have not finished solidifying and firming up that need to be not overstressed. That's important, I think, for all breeds, you know, and I think very important in a large breed like the black and tan because I think they grow longer and slower. And so I think that that's absolutely imperative advice. And the other question that I have, we talk about they're good with other dogs because they're a pack hound and they're good in their family. How are they with their individuals? Are they aloof? Are they Velcro? Am I going to the bathroom with my six coon hounds or they're on the couch having a nap while I run my errands? Well, of course you're going to the bathroom with your six coon hounds because they're really curious about what you're doing. They do like to be helpful with whatever you're doing. But if you want to be a couch potato, if you're sitting watching TV, as long as they can be curled up somewhere on the couch near you on something warm and soft, they're fine with that. Some are more reserved than others and some are needier than others. Some of them are fiercely independent. We have had the occasional coonhound who was quite body sensitive, and while they were happy to have us pet them and go over them and all of that, really didn't think it was a huge big favor for a stranger to walk up and want to pet them. They can be quite aloof that way, but right. most of them are perfectly fine with anything you want to do. Some are more active than others, and we're finding in lines, some lines are very laid back, and some lines are quite a bit more active. There's a handler who handles coonhounds who claims that it has direct proportion to the amount of prey drive that they have. If they're always looking for something to chase and always looking for some kind of activity, then they can be much more active than a family often expects. But mm -hmm. most of them are very laid back. If nothing exciting's happening, they'll curl up and go to sleep. But yes, they will help you. They'll help you in the kitchen in case you drop something. You never have to worry about picking up food on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Always an advantage. Oh, yes. One of our daughters had a girlfriend with a baby who was dropping food from the high chair. And our daughter turned and looked at her and said, you need a dog. You know, how can you worry about food on the floor under the high chair? You need a dog. <laughs> Definitely an advantage in every child's life. And the other thing I was going oh, to yeah. ask really quick, we were talking about how they are with individuals, how they are with other dogs. You mentioned earlier their own house cat, fine. Stray cat, not so fine. And talking about that prey drive, Kathy, talk about other areas in which that might leak out in addition to the not so great off leash and not so great with the stray neighbor cat. Pretty much critters that wander onto the place are very exciting. Mm -hmm. We live in the woods. So we have bobcat and coyote and the occasional raccoon, although we're high enough that we don't usually see them. Skunks can be very attractive. And things that wander onto the place that shouldn't be their instinct, they will chase them. They will. Other than that, never with people and in general, never with other dogs. Dog aggression is very highly discouraged because they have to be pack dogs. They have to be pack dogs. Unless somebody's in season, there shouldn't be any day of the week that you couldn't throw all your dogs out together 
and have everybody get along just fine. It's really a lovely thought for those of us who don't live with pack gowns in a constant state of crate and rotate. Final quick question. Oh, yeah. Are people still using the breed in like night hunts and sort of the hound trailing competitions that are available around the country? Oh, absolutely. There are fewer events on the West Coast as land available for hunting becomes less and less mm -hmm. and regulations become more and more. The hunting in the West took a huge hit when bear and cougar hunting were outlawed right. with hounds. So we have fewer events out West, although we do still have competitions. But in the Midwest and the Southeast, hunting with Coonhounds is still very, very active and very much encouraged. The American Kennel Club does offer events and titles in these areas, yep. and many black hands do still participate. Excellent. 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 Kathy, thank you so much. I love sharing people's breeds, and I love me a good coonhound. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I have to add, thank you very much for not introducing me as an old friend. <laughs> we are long, long time, time. Flora. <laughs> I've known you through almost every phase of your life. <laughs> it's true. It is very true. It is absolutely true. A hundred percent. All right. And I also have to say, it's wonderful that you are paying back to the sport in the way you do, dear. It's absolutely delightful to me to watch you. Thank you. So, my pleasure. Thank you for asking. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.